Hello and welcome back to The Power of Now, a guide to spiritual enlightenment with Gilda and Barbara. If you'd like to join us live, there is more information at the end of this session. We're doing a book study on this book written by Eckhart Tolle, and we hope that you have your copy so that you can follow along. Today we are in Chapter 1, Section 1. My name is Barbara Wainwright, and I'm here with Gilda Simonet. Welcome, Gilda. Thank you. Yay. (laughs) Chapter 1. Let's just start with the title of the book, since this is the first one. The Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment, written by Eckhart Tolle. You are not your mind, the greatest obstacle to enlightenment. And the student asks, enlightenment, what is that? And Ecker replies, a beggar had been sitting by the side of the road for over 30 years. One day, a stranger walked by. Spare some change, mumbled the beggar, mechanically holding out his old baseball cap. I have nothing to give you, said the stranger. Then he asked, what's that you are sitting on? Nothing, replied the beggar. Just an old box. I've been sitting on it for as long as I can remember. Ever looked inside? asked the stranger. No, said the beggar. What's the point? There's nothing in there. Have a look inside, insisted the stranger. The beggar managed to pry open the lid. With astonishment, disbelief, and elation, he saw that the box was filled with gold. I am that stranger who has nothing to give you and who is telling you to look inside, not inside any box, as in the parable, but somewhere even closer, inside yourself. But I am not a beggar, I can hear you say. Those who have not found their true wealth, which is the radiant joy of being and the deep, unshakable peace that comes with it, are beggars. Even if they have great material wealth, They're looking outside for scraps of pleasure or fulfillment, for validation, security, or love, while they have a treasure within that not only includes all those things, but is infinitely greater than anything the world can offer. The word enlightenment conjures up the idea of some superhuman accomplishment, and the ego likes to keep it that way. But it is simply your natural state of felt oneness with being. It is a state of connectedness with something immeasurable and indestructible, something that almost paradoxically is essentially you, and yet is much greater than you. It is finding your true nature beyond name and form. The inability to feel this connectedness gives rise to the illusion of separation from yourself and from the world around you. You then perceive yourself consciously or unconsciously, as an isolated fragment, fear arises, and conflict within and without becomes the norm. I love the Buddha's simple definition of enlightenment as the end of suffering. There is nothing superhuman in that, is there? Of course, as a definition, it is incomplete. It only tells you what enlightenment is not. No suffering. But what's left when there is no more suffering? The Buddha is silent on that. And his silence implies that you'll have to find out for yourself. 
He uses the negative definition so that the mind cannot make it into something to believe in or into a superhuman accomplishment, a goal that is impossible for you to attain. Despite this precaution, the majority of Buddhists still believe that enlightenment is for the Buddha, not for them, at least not in this lifetime. Wow. I like the way he's talking about <laughs> enlightenment and not making it something that it's superhuman because that is an egoic stance, if you will, or an egoic take on it. The ego would want you to, oh, I'm enlightened, so I'm, you know, special. <laughs> Yeah, I'm better than you. Yeah, so it's really not about that. And he, he's making it pretty clear when he talks about it's not a superhuman thing. It's it's a matter of being able to connect. He says it right here. It's a state of connectedness with something immeasurable and indestructible, something that almost paradoxically is essentially you and yet is much greater than you. It's being connected to what I would say all that is, knowing that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. The fact that we're all in a human body, we all have that in common. And it goes beyond the human body to the spiritual aspect. And from the spiritual aspect, we are all connected. So we are all one. We are a part of one. It's like a drop of water in the ocean. Each individually drops of water in an ocean of water. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I don't know. It does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A student asked, you use the word being. Can you explain what you mean by that? Being is the eternal, ever-present one life beyond the myriad of forms of life that are subject to birth and death. However, being is not only beyond, but also deep within every form as its innermost invisible and indestructible essence. This means that it is accessible to you now as your own deepest self, your true nature. But don't seek to grasp it with your mind. Don't try to understand it. You can know it only when the mind is still, when you are present. When your attention is fully and intensely in the now, being can be felt, but it can never be understood mentally. To regain awareness of being and to abide in that state of feeling realization is enlightenment. The student asks, when you say being, are you talking about God? If you are, then why don't you say it? Eckhart says, the word God has become empty of meaning through thousands of years of misuse. I use it sometimes, but I do so sparingly. By misuse, I mean that people who have never even glimpsed the realm of the sacred, the infinite vastness behind the word, use it with great conviction, as if they knew what they were talking about, or they argue against it as if they knew what it is that they are denying. This misuse gives rise to absurd beliefs, assertions, and egoic delusions, such as my or our God is the only true God, and your God is false. Or Nietzsche's famous statement, God is dead. The word God has become a closed concept. 
The moment the word is uttered, a mental image is created, no longer perhaps of an old man with a white beard, but still a mental representation of someone or something outside you. And yes, almost inevitably a male someone or something. Neither God nor being nor any other word can define or explain the ineffable reality behind the word. So the only important question is whether the word is a help or a hindrance in enabling you to experience that toward which it points. Does it point beyond itself to that transcendental reality? Or does it lend itself too easily to becoming no more than an idea in your head that you believe in, a mental idol? The word being explains nothing, but nor does God. Being, however, has the advantage that it is an open concept. It does not reduce the infinite invisible to a finite entity. It is impossible to form a mental image of it. Nobody can claim exclusive possession of being. It is your very essence, and it is immediately accessible to you as the feeling of your own presence. The realization I am, that is prior to I am this or I am that, so it is only a small step from the word being to the experience of being. I like that because it is all about language here. I know that the word God has been used as a punishment for some people. God's going to get you. God's going to punish you. You're going to go to hell or God's going to send you to hell. <laughs> right? So God has been used as a punishment for some people. And hearing the word sends a lot of resistance into their physical body because of that. So I can see why he's saying it's a hard word to use to get to the point where you want somebody to go because there's so many concepts behind that word. But if we say being, then it doesn't have all that overlaid mental construct around it. And it's only a small step, as he says, to the experience of being. And what he said earlier was to regain awareness of being and to abide in that state of feeling realization that is enlightenment. So when we get to the state where we've let all the mind clutter go and we are clear and we are feeling and sensing the connection that we have to all that is, that is the state of being or the state of enlightenment that he's speaking of. What is the greatest obstacle to experiencing this reality? And he says, identification with your mind, which causes thought to become compulsive. Not to be able to stop thinking is a dreadful affliction. But we don't realize this because almost everybody is suffering from it. So it's considered normal. This incessant mental noise prevents you from finding that realm of inner stillness that is inseparable from being. It also creates a false mind-made self that casts a shadow of fear and suffering. We will look at all of that in more detail later. The philosopher Descartes believed that he had found the most fundamental truth when he made his famous statement, I think, therefore I am. He had, in fact, given expression to the most basic error, 
to equate thinking with being and identity with thinking. The compulsive thinker, which means almost everyone, lives in a state of apparent separateness in an insanely complex world of continuous problems and conflict, a world that reflects the ever-increasing fragmentation of the mind. Enlightenment is a state of wholeness, of being at one and therefore at peace, at one with life in its manifested aspect, the world, as well as with your deepest self and life unmanifested, at one with being. Enlightenment is not only the end of suffering and of continuous conflict within and without, but also the end of dreadful enslavement to incessant thinking. What an incredible liberation this is. That's so true. And I do know people that have a very difficult time managing their thinking. They have thoughts that are not serving them, that are over and over in their mind, and they can't stop it. It's compulsive, obsessive thinking, and they can't stop themselves. They are not in control of their own mind. So it can be really difficult if you are one of those people. (laughs) This book will really help you to become present and to begin to manage the thoughts to let the thoughts go to be able to be fully present and conscious in this moment identification with your mind creates an opaque screen of concepts labels images words judgments and definitions that block all true relationship it comes between you and yourself between you and your fellow man and woman between you and nature between you and god it is this screen of thought that creates the illusion of separateness, the illusion that there is you and a totally separate other. You then forget the essential fact that underneath the level of physical appearances and separate forms, you are one with all that is. By forget, I mean that you can no longer feel this oneness as self-evident reality. You may believe it to be true, but you no longer know it to be true. A belief may be comforting. Only through your own experience, however, does it become liberating. Thinking has become a disease. Disease happens when things get out of balance. For example, there is nothing wrong with cells dividing and multiplying in the body. But when this process continues in disregard of the total organism, cells proliferate and we have disease. Note, the mind is a superb instrument if used rightly. Used wrongly, however, it becomes very destructive. To put it more accurately, it is not so much that you use your mind wrongly. You usually don't use it at all. It uses you. (laughs) This is the disease. You believe that you are your mind. This is the delusion. The instrument has taken you over. So what he's talking about there, I believe, is the egoic mind. The egoic mind sees itself as separate. The egoic mind is tricky in that it thinks it's better than somebody else or worse than. Either way, it's the egoic mind saying you're not good enough or the egoic mind saying you're better than. And if we can get still and quiet those thoughts and get connected to all that is, like he says there, we can 
come to know peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of being. That's true. I know that my ego likes to find its way in sometimes. And like you said earlier, it's just about managing it. You're trying your best to. Yeah. If you have a thought in your mind that leads to separation, anxiety, fear, pain, it's not coming from your true self. That's coming from the ego. So you can dismiss that thought or cancel that thought or say, that's not true for me and let that thought go. And even better, replace it with a thought that is empowering for you. One that does lift you up. I'm connected to all that is. I'm one with the force and the forces within me. There's one. There's one thought, right? You could replace it with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I think, is that a Star Wars thing? Yes, that's why I loved it when you said that. Oh my gosh. We're just a couple of Jedis here. <laughs> right, so there's a student's opinion here. And it says, I don't quite agree. It is true that I do a lot of aimless thinking, like most people. But I can still choose to use my mind to get and accomplish things. And I do that all the time. Eckhart says, Just because you can solve a crossword puzzle or build an atom bomb doesn't mean that you use your mind. Just as dogs love to chew bones, the mind loves to get its teeth into problems. That's why it does crossword puzzles and builds atom bombs. You have no interest in either. Let me ask you this. Can you be free of your mind whenever you want to? Have you found the off button? And the student replies, you mean stop thinking altogether? No, I can't, except for maybe a moment or two. Eckert says, then the mind is using you. You are unconsciously identified with it. So you don't even know that you are its slave. It's almost as if you were possessed without knowing it. And so you take the possessing entity to be yourself. The beginning of freedom is the realization that you are not the possessing entity, the thinker, knowing this enables you to observe the entity. The moment you start watching the thinker, a higher level of consciousness becomes activated. You then begin to realize that there's a vast realm of intelligence beyond thought. That thought is only a tiny aspect of that intelligence. You also realize that all the things that truly matter beauty, love, creativity, joy, inner peace, arise from beyond the mind. You begin to awaken. Wow. That's the end of that section. And I love it. I love how he very clearly is saying, you have this mind, this thinking mind that is creating chaos, most likely in your life. And if you can observe that thinking mind, then a higher form of intelligence will slip in and you will begin to realize the vast realm of intelligence beyond that thinking mind. And you begin to realize all the things that truly matter. And I love some of that. I love that too. I, I love it where he points out beauty, love, creativity, Joy and inner peace are the things that truly matter. What truly matters to you? 
and all of those things. All of those things. I would just put this out as a little challenge today to think about what things truly matter to you today. I like that. Yeah, thanks. You begin to awaken once you figure that out. (laughs) I love it. This has been a really great start, or I'll say a restart maybe, because this is round two going through the book. I've kind of forgotten about this opening and how he really points out the difference between the thinking mind and the, I guess, the higher level consciousness when you start observing the thinking mind, when you start observing your thoughts and analyze it. Does that thought serve me? Is that thought based on fear or separation or judgment? Or is that thought based on connectedness and things that really matter? Is it coming from a deeper place from within me? Or is it coming from my egoic mind? Yeah, I like that. I remember you saying before, is this an egoic thought or is this a high dimensional thought? Yeah. And being able to discern the difference is not the egoic mind. <laughs> That's <gonna> be- yeah. <laughs> the ego won't let you do that. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Well, this is a great section and a great kickoff to the start of going through this book again. And I hope you found some value in it. Look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Bye everyone. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to go deeper into a spiritual conversation, consider joining our group where we encourage each other on our spiritual journeys. Go to our website, lifecoachtrainingonline.com and click on coaching services. Or give us a call at 800-711-4346.